Chapter Six of The Heron Nest by W. Burt Foster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Six: The Sowersbees. Jack knew it was useless to look in Mister Short's direction for work, and as far as he had observed, only one farmer in the neighborhood seemed to be busy at this time. There had been a heavy fall of snow lately. The road was well packed with it, and it lay deep in the woods and was drifted across the open fields. But frequently Jack and Billy heard the ring of axes on the mountainside to the east of Rack and Ruin Villa, and several times had seen heavily loaded wood sleds trundling down a winding path from the timber belt to the Medway Road. So the young fellow set out in this direction on his first quest for work. He reached the bypath, which he knew was a right-of-way through the neighbor's land, and followed it toward the thick timber. This man seemed to have cut in the past about all the good timber on the lower slope of his farm. There was nothing standing here but clumps of saplings, or old trees past their prime, which would not be accepted at the mill. Maybe this Mr. Sowersby will hire another hand for a few days, was Jack's thought. I may not be able to swing an axe skillfully enough to suit him, but I believe I can keep up my end on a cross-cut saw with that red-headed longshanks of a son of his. For Jack had seen the Sowersbys in the village and had not been very pleasantly impressed by their appearance. But a fellow can't be too particular when he is choosing an employer these hard times. Included in the job the herons had done for Mr. Mendon was the repairing of the fences around the cultivated portion of the farm. This eastern boundary of the Darnell Place, near which the woodpath Jack was following ran, was well defined at first, but farther up the hillside, especially after he crossed the creek on several huge stepping stones, the young fellow found that the fences had fallen entirely in some places, and the stakes and riders seemed to have been removed. There were other old fences, ancient boundaries, crossing the Darnell and Sowersby line, and extending into both farms, which added to the puzzle. Long before he came in sight of the spot where the farmer and his son were chopping, Jack had lost all idea of the location of the line between the two farms. It was in a cove, or hollow, in the mountainside, that the Sowersbees were at work. Jack saw that the gentle slopes were more than half denuded of the better timber. Many of the logs were piled ready to be rolled upon the sled and carted away. Although there were only the farmer and his son at work, they seemed to be masters of woodcraft and were systematically stripping the cove of every valuable stick which it contained. Jack, on entering at the lower end of this hollow, did not fail to notice what a lovely sweep of land it would be when once cleared of the stumps and small growth which now marred the prospect. At this lower end, the ground was springy and a stream bubbled forth, wandering down the hillside to join the creek below. The conditions in evidence suggested that the side hills were moist and that the heading of the open spring was probably far up the shoulder of the mountain and could be tapped very easily 
The soil was black, loamy, and looked very rich. The appearance of Jack seemed to affect the Sowersbys rather strangely at first. The red-headed youth saw him coming, and he flung down his axe and started toward the intruder belligerently, demanding, Hey, what do you want snooping around here? We don't allow no trespassing on this land. Get out. Jack flushed at the fellow's attitude and words, and had he thought only of himself instead of the family's need, would have replied in kind, and there might have been a game of fisticuffs then and there. The red-headed youth's advantage of age and height did not awe Jack a mite, but the elder Sowersby broke in, motioning vigorously to his son to remain quiet. Why, I shouldn't wonder if this was one of them herons that's come onto the Darnell place. What you want, if I may? The son continued to display an unfriendly mien, but Jack paid little attention to him. I came to see if you were hiring any help, said young Heron to Mr. Stowersby. We've got Mr. Menden's work pretty well done, and I'll have some free time before the frost gets out of the ground. You going to stay in that place and farm it? demanded Mr. Sowersby, eyeing Jack in rather a puzzling way. We're going to use some of the land and look after the fruit and the property in general. The red-headed Sowersby snorted. We don't want no help up here, he declared. I don't know, bub, said the old man, soothingly, his eyes twinkling under their grizzled brows. I reckon this snow ain't going to linger longer, Lucy, and we got a right smart lot of sledding to do yet. He looks like a husky boy. His son seemed to be smitten suddenly with a form of idiocy that Jack could not understand. He doubled up like a jackknife, smote his knees with both mittened palms, and the blood rose so furiously in his face that the big yellow freckles spotting it were thrown into distinct relief, and looked as though they could be picked off. But this paroxysm of laughter was silent. His father eyed this behavior with some disgust, and he turned to Jack and asked, "'What'll you work for?' "'What will you give?' retorted Jack. "'I'll have to tell you that I've never swung an axe much. "'But you and Bub can saw against each other, hey?' said the farmer shrewdly. Humph. I'll give you seventy-five cents a day, and we knock off at half-past four o'clock. Is it a bargain? Jack agreed, and flung off his coat at once. He had no trouble in doing his share of the work, but young Sowersby did not seem at all pleased with his assistance. That bothered Jack but little. However, he went home at noon with a lighter heart. Four fifty per won't buy us automobiles, but it will go a long way towards filling our plates at table, he said to the family between mouthfuls. After that first day, he carried his luncheon, and from eight o'clock until dark, he worked like a Trojan. Young Sowersby continued to glower at him, but old Sowersby chuckled and rubbed his hands. He said he'd love to see a young fellow work like Jack. There was a shortcut across the farm, which Jack soon learned in going to work. After leaving the once cultivated fields of the Darnell place, he mounted 
into the rocky pastures and crossed the broad and noisy stream which seemed never completely icebound jack had broken ground with the neighbors on the east side of rackenruin villa it was pearl mary who first made the acquaintance of mrs short who was as stout as her husband was thin and who never failed to hail the girl when she passed on the road now that she had the time she kept a promise made to mrs short and went over one afternoon to Satisville. she chanced to arrive seemingly at a most inopportune moment nobody answered her knock at the cottage door but the hens were shattering the crisp air with wild and abandoned squawkings so pearl mary hurried around to the rear as she reached the scene a single long-drawn squawk signaled the fact that the offending hen was captured mrs short with a very red face and very short of breath stood panting aside while her long-legged husband backed out of the coop carrying a struggling plymouth rock minus some tail feathers and all her wits that pesky critter ejaculated mrs short puffingly i never did see the beat of her i declare how do miss heron nice day ain't it what's the matter with biddy asked mary interested never see such a critter repeated mrs short while her husband stood by holding the hen under his arm and grinning broadly on their visitor she's just determined to set lass has tried to break her up twice already but she goes right back on the nest and fights all the other hens off that want to lay i've a mind to have lass wring her neck so i have but why don't you let her set demanded the girl in surprise haven't you any eggs to put under her my goodness me i don't want to take care of march chickens i ain't got time to slop around after them declared mrs short and they're always dying of cold or wet or something but i understand that it is the early chicken that pays the best they're too much care was the decided reply no she can't set unless you want her to start your hen farm miss heron and the old lady chuckled comfortably i wish i had her long enough to hatch a setting of eggs said mary slowly my would you fuss with march chickens cried mrs short then you can have her till she gets over her feet lias will shut her up in a barrel and your brother can come over for her tonight where are you going to get the eggs to put under her our eggs is mongrel ain't neither which nor to other and you say you want to raise a good breed i'm going to town right now to get the eggs declared pearl mary greatly excited i will come another day to visit you mrs short this is important she ran home and breathlessly explained to billy the great opportunity i know it seems just awful to spend two dollars right now for fifteen eggs but i'll help aunt nanny crochet her baby sacks to make it up huh interrupted billy isn't the money we've got as much yours as anybody's 
and I believe in the hen business, too. Only I've got several things to say about it by and by that may surprise you. You can't begin to learn too quickly to manage the hen that lays the golden egg. For the goose of the old fairy story has gone out of business. His sister paid little attention at the moment to this homily, but hurried away to town and came back at night with fifteen darkly tinted eggs in a nest of cotton wool. Gracious, murmured Jack, thirteen and a third cents each for eggs is pretty steep. It would be for an omelette, retorted Billy, wisely, but these are guaranteed sixty percent fertile, and we hope that the chicks hatched from them will be the basis of a business that even you, Jackie, shall respect. Oh, I'm not knocking, his brother hastened to say. Only do you think it pays to buy fancy-bred eggs for hatching? Nobody can be too well-bred. Not even a chicken, retorted Billy, grinning. Mary wants to start right. She has started right, I believe. Now let Mother Short's hen do her part. The cellar under the remodeled tool-house where the herons lived so compactly could be entered only by the door outside. There was no opening between the living-rooms and the cemented pit, so Pearl Mary set her first hen down there, making a nest of chopped straw with a little slaked lime sprinkled through it. The industrious and obstinate Biddy, who had been such a trial to Mother Short, settled down upon the eggs with a satisfied song, and the three young folk stole out of the cellar and left her to begin her three weeks' labor. The boys had not as yet found time to build the hen-house they had promised Mary, for Jack was working every day for Mr. Sowersby. But Billy at once made preparation for the expected chicks by building what he laughingly named the Heron Patent Brooder and Chicken Run. First of all, he built a hollow square of boards, eight feet by six and eighteen inches high, using two by two inch scantling for corner posts. In one end, he cut a doorway a foot high and ten inches broad, with a drop slide for a door. He covered the top of this run with inch mesh wire, leaving at one corner farthest from the doorway a space where the wire netting was tacked to a frame of laths a right-angle triangle, instead of to the top of the boarding itself. This corner could be lifted for water and food to be put in to the chicks, and an ordinary hook and eye held it shut. So much for the run, which, as Billy pointed out, could be moved to a new spot each day, if so desired, and would supply exercising ground for twenty-five chickens until they were three months old. Of course, Billy said, the ideal way to raise chickens is on a floor. Keep them off the ground for the first three months, and there is little likelihood of grave disorders in the flock, for in the ground dwells the gape worm and the germs of other diseases. But, saving in very wet weather, there is not so much danger of the gapes, and by moving this run to a fresh piece of sod every day or two, I think we can escape any epidemic of disease you see it will be impossible for the chicks to stray from this run and no vermin neither weasel skunk nor rat can get at them 
Now for the brooder. Billy found a good-sized soapbox about ten inches high, with both a top and a bottom to it. He cut a door to match the door in the run, in one end, and made a drop slide for that, too. With the door to both, the brooder and run, we can move them separately, he explained. Before nailing on the bottom of this box, he had Pearl Mary cut a number of strips of flannel and heavy cloth, old petticoats and the like, about ten inches wide, and with her scissors slit these strips to within an inch of one edge, thus making a coarse fringe. These strips Billy tacked upon the underside of the roof of the brooder, allowing the fringes to hang down with only an inch between them, and when the bottom of the box was nailed on, these fringes all but touched the floor. You see, explained Billy, the chicks will run in among these dangling strips and be hovered pretty near as well as by the mother hen. A little sulfur and slaked lime thrown into the brooder and shaken about every day or two will keep out the vermin, and after warm weather sets in, the brooder will not be necessary anyway. By that time, I will have ready for you a larger and more airy box with a movable lattice of roosts two or three inches from the floor, on which the chicks can learn to roost, and which will keep them from crowding on top of each other at night for warmth. We do not want any crooked-tailed cockerels or broken-breasted pullets in our flock. In a day or two, Mr. Short lounged over to say that mother had another cluck hen that was fussing around and asked Pearl Mary if she wanted the pesky critter. Like a good many other farmers of the old school, Mr. Short looked upon poultry as a necessary evil around the farm. He seldom paid any attention to the feathered stock himself, saving to clean out the houses semi-occasionally and knock together a few lap coops for the chicks in the spring. He had allowed his stock to inbreed year after year until, as Mrs. Short declared, they were mostly mongrels and runts. Pearl Mary was eager enough to accept the kind neighbor's offer, but she looked questioningly at Billy. She realized that almost every day the little hoard in father's old wallet, tucked behind the clock on the living room shelf, was melting, and to invest another two dollars in eggs seemed wicked. Nothing ventured, nothing gained, said the cripple, cheerfully. Some misfortune might attend the hatching of your first setting. Better have a second coming on, too. Sort of a reserve fund of chicks, sis. There is nothing more wasteful than false economy. The chicken business is just as legitimate an investment as my cherished onions. We're going into both ventures for all there is in them. End of chapter 6